Don't search out what your problems do to you. Search out what they do for you. What do you, you know, if we sit around and just say, man, I got all these problems and they're just making me mad. And how about we look at what our problems do for us and not to us? And then also, we've got to be able, if you're going to live on this planet, you've got to be able to navigate, balance, find your balance between the promises of God and the problems of this life. Because you are actually promised that you will have in the natural world tribulation and trial and persecution. So I know we want to cling to all the promises of God and pray that nothing bad ever happens. But uh, we have to be able to respond in Christ. You know, what a great testimony. And if you blow it like our brother did a couple of weeks ago when he blew it at work, repent. Do what the Lord says do. I love that, you know, there he is finding himself all alone, just he and the other person. And then the Lord says, I want you to go ask him to forgive you. I had done a series years ago. We were still at the other building. And we had a lovely lady that worshiped, or worshiped, that uh ran the sound for us. She has since gone to be with the Lord. But uh, I was doing a series on forgiveness. I spent like six weeks, I don't know, eight weeks on forgiveness. And finally at the end of the series, she said, all right, Lord, I will forgive my ex-husband. I will forgive him. I don't want to, but I'll do it. And the Lord said, oh, no. I want you to ask him to forgive you for hating him. For five years. And then, boy, she didn't want to do that. But after a day of crying and so forth, she did. She picked up the phone, called him, said, Would you please forgive me for all the hate and venom I've had towards you for all these years? And he cried too. They cried together on the phone. And uh, it was a great, it's such a healing moment because they had two children together. So every time before this happened, the exchange of children was going on. It was a nightmare. But uh, after that, things much smoother and God just did a great work. On earth as it is in where? While we think in holding grudges against other people, we're harming that person. The deepest harm is to ourselves. Because you're, you're not made in the image of a grudge-filled God. So can I say again that whatever looks good on him looks good on you? Okay, you you see it. If you don't see it on Jesus Christ, you don't want it in your life. And you can, you know, the enemy will help you. You can build cases all day long. Well, I tell you, I I deserve an apology from that. That's probably true, you know. And I I got rights, and well, not really. You really don't. When you when you come to Christ, you forfeit your rights to Him. Because you're acknowledging your way is the best way. Your way is the best way for me to be and to live. And your flesh may yell about it. But I'm telling you, you think our brother, after he uh, asked for forgiveness and he apologized, you think he went home kicking rocks or you think he felt light as a feather? Why is that? Guys, you got to listen. I'm not even in the sermon yet, but if you want to write this down, this will help you. The, the universe is not neutral. It is moral. We live in a moral universe with rewards and consequences. 
When you walk according to the way of the one who invented life, put, him, put his life within us, you get to experience rewards and blessing. And listen, I'm not saying like our, our brother, 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 <laughs> our brother didn't leave work that day after asking for forgiveness thinking, well, I guess I'm getting checks in the mail, right? I mean, I, I did something for God. He's going he gonna to bless me. No, the payoff was in here. It was in him. Because he who waters others gets watered in the process. If you bless somebody, you're blessed. Man, I, and I fell into that in the 90s. I thought, well, if I did something nice for somebody, God was going to reward me later. He said, Steve, the payoff is in you. Stop looking for a blessing. You're already blessed. And when you participate with my divine nature, you're ultra blessed. So... Tell all your friends. Teach your children this. The universe is moral. Formed by a moral God. And what's the first three... What's the prefix of universe? What's the prefix? Una. One. There's one God. There's one way to live. It's not a multiverse. It's a universe. And when you walk according to His way, the way life was invented to be lived, because He is life Himself then you experience rewards and pleasantries and joy and peace and those things. Now, you got to balance that because we don't control everybody else's behavior or, or demeanor. So you might experience some heartache and pain. I mean, my goodness. You look at the hurricane and just stuff that happens. We live in a fallen world, so there is heartache. But I'm telling you, if our brother had chosen to just live with venom, for the whole next year, he would not have experienced rewards within his person. He'd have experienced consequences. So, I don't know how to maybe better explain that. But the, the universe is more. Let's take the United States of America. If we continue to make ourselves God. See, when God is removed from the fabric of a nation. One nation under God. Even that was up for debate. Maybe still is in some places. They try to take that part out of the Pledge of Allegiance. Right? You guys have heard about that. So when God is removed as chief in charge over a nation, man becomes God. Who else could be God? And then what's going to follow? Chaos, strife, war. Uh, what else do we see? Division. Fighting. Why? Because man, no one man is God. No one party is God. Everybody has to bow to one God or we'll never have peace. And so when we, in our foolishness, take God out of our country and out of our values and the moral fabric of our life, saying, oh, we can, we can have peace and love and all that, we, but we don't need God to do it. You're a fool. God is love. God is peace. What a trick of the enemy. So if you take, you take God out of the equation in a country, man becomes God. And when man becomes God, all the little kingdoms start jockeying for position. The little K's. And we have chaos and strife and war and ugliness and everything we have on social media today. I can't believe how people just blindly follow a party line. A political, I'm just with this political group. doesn't matter if they're way off. We exist to spite the other political group. Oh, they're way off too. Human reasoning, human political thinking, 
Oh, man. Give me the Spirit and the Word of God. Give me that. I'll have soundness. I'll have peace in my bones. Peace to you. Because how do we be at peace with each other? You've got to have peace with God. That gives peace to yourself. Now you can be at peace with others. I just don't know why it's not possible that Republicans and Democrats could come together and humble themselves for the good of the nation. And it's really got to be the, the good of God Himself because it, nothing will work apart from God. But, you know, let's find the, the good in each other's arguments. Let's find the good in it and work together towards a good end. But pride and all that, I mean, just power. Power, hungry people. But how many of you know that the power of love will always conquer the love of power? It will. So as long as we're here, we're going to kick the devil's teeth in. Fair enough? Father, thank you for your word this morning. And uh, just invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us and grow us as we're all together as a church family here this morning. And uh, just be you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So back on July 10th, remember our prayer was, Father, what begins in this building must be exemplified by our living connected to you all week long. Everybody doing well living connected to the Lord all week long, right? We're not a Sunday people. We're everyday people. Because we're not serving a Sunday God. We're serving an everyday God. Uh, Lord, show us how to embrace your kingdom culture that's a counter, uh, counterculture of the world. For years, the church has been a subculture. A subculture is a culture within a culture that just runs parallel with the culture and gets along with them. We didn't agree with everything, but, you know, we didn't agree with everything they were doing, but we didn't make any noise about it. We certainly weren't a stark contrast. And I think the reason is because we borrowed so many of our values from the world. I'm talking about the body of Christ in America. We were just borrowing their values. We're putting on performances and shows and everything the world loves in the realm of entertainment. I don't know if you've listened yet to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which was a church in Seattle, Washington that blew up overnight and then disappeared overnight because they elevated charisma over character. And the church does this all the time. Don't think Mars Hill is some grand exception. Character matters. It matters the most. Now, competency and charisma are awesome, great to have, but super important that we don't, we don't get spun up in other things, elevating other things. I guess I need to turn the iPad on. And yes, Matt, I heard you diss me last week. I heard it. <laughs> he must have forgotten. I actually navigated this thing uh, two weeks ago for the vacation. I, it, it wasn't where it was supposed to be, but I got it there. All right, so Lord, how do we embrace kingdom culture and how do we live contrary to how the world lives? Because we want to be different. Are you with me? I want to be different. I don't want the church to look just like the world anymore. I don't. So we're going to embrace our true identity in Christ. Embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. Embrace the Lordship of Jesus. Is that what our brother did when he went and apologized at work? Yes, he did. 
Embrace the health and healing of the Father's kingdom. Stay immersed in the presence of God. We talked about that. We have to be people of His presence. Acts 4.13 They knew they had been with Jesus. We are Jesus' people. Psalm 105 verse 1 through 4 just talks about how we have to require of the Lord. He is the necessity of our lives. And where you go, where you are, the culture of the Father's kingdom goes. Gretchen read this morning, I thought that was amazing, Wyatt talking about the culture of the Father's kingdom being wherever we are. We're carriers of that culture. And that culture should be in stark contrast to the selfishness of the world. I think that's right right on the money. So how do we do it? you got to remember, the culture of the Father's kingdom is with you. It's in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. So you're a, a culture carrier everywhere you go. If you don't like your work culture, change it. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to you because Christ is in you. Change your work culture. Remember we talked about this. Start baking pies for people. Start showing up, giving them cookies. Just do great gestures of love and kindness. And start with the one that rubs you the wrong way the most. Ask the Lord. He knows how to change culture. Ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do in my workplace so we can change the culture from all this backbiting, jockeying for position and competition into love and joy and peace? Amen. I'll amen myself on that. The sixth one is stay dressed in the whole armor of God. We're going to embrace the culture of the kingdom by staying dressed in the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We don't need all your self-effort. We need you yielded. He doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. Man, isn't that exciting? Just let's go back to our brother sitting there in his workplace and it's just he and the other guy and he was available. He was connected where he heard the voice of the Lord. Does that make sense? Be available. He was available and he was willing and then the Lord supplied the grace to uh, ask for, an, for forgiveness. Put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say whole armor of God. Most Christians have the helmet of salvation on and they're just holding on to the end. You're totally naked everywhere except you got this helmet on. It takes more than the helmet of salvation to overcome the enemy. And I'm glad you're saved. But my goodness, people, there's a war going on. (laughs) So put on the Come on, one more time. Put on the whole armor of God. Not just one piece. Your ticket to heaven. Your helmet looks like a little ticket. I got my ticket to heaven. I'm going to sweet by and by one day. Until then, get my teeth kicked in every day. No, you got the Holy Ghost. You got the Word of God living on the inside of you. I don't know if I'm anointed. If Christ is in you, Christ means anointing. You're already anointed. Well, that's, that's good preaching. Little preacher. Good job. <laughs> verse 12, or uh, verse 11. Put on the whole of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rules of darkness, spiritual hosts of weaknesses, uh, wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up... Here it is again. 
the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all you can, stand, verse 14, stand therefore. According to Matthew 12, how do we not stand? Jesus taught in Matthew 12, 24, 25, any kingdom, any city, any house, divided, will not stand. So you're not going to stand in the culture if you love that culture. And oh, by the way, I love the Father's culture. You're divided. Oh, I I love God, but I also, I love some of the stuff, you know, that the world offers me. Well, if you're divided, you will not. (laughs) I am making sense. Amen. Or he is through me, one of the two. So you can't have divided loves. You can't have divided motives. You can't have... Boy, I I could preach on that right there. How often in the... I don't even know what to call that time frame, but... Divided motives where we're doing good things. Maybe we're giving money to church. We're singing songs to be seen of men. Just so people would think we were the Christian person we had hoped to be. You can't have divided motives. You can't have divided loyalties. You cannot serve God and money. Hello, America. You cannot serve God and money. You will love the one and hate the other. So I say all that to say we need, we need to stand. Let me show you a scripture that Stacy got. I wasn't going to use it here, but it perfectly fits. Stacy got this when I was talking uh, probably a month ago about living undivided. Let's live undivided lives. No, no more dual loyalty, dual love, dual motive. No more of that. Let's, let's live pure, single in our heart and devotion to Christ. Stacy, the Lord gave her this one, uh, Luke eleven thirty three. No one, Jesus said, when he's lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or hides it under a basket, but places it on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, now that word, another translation is healthy. King James Version is single. When it's single. What does single mean? Not divided. When your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... See God. Pure means single. 100% pure. Florida orange juice means no ingredients but one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So you shall love the Lord your God with all. How much is all? I think all connotes undivided. You love Him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. Isn't this a powerful truth? Therefore, when your eye is good, when it's healthy, when it's single, your whole body is now full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you doesn't become darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. What a great passage. So we want to stand, therefore, verse 14. We will stand, therefore, undivided, having gird our waist with the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. That's number two. Uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's number three. 
Take the shield of faith, that's number four, by which you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, number five, the sword of the Spirit, that's number six. Praying always in the Spirit. Well, that'll make me charismatic or Pentecostal. No, it won't. It'll make you biblical. Don't you want to be biblical? I laugh at people. It's like, well, I can't raise my hands and worship. That'll make me Pentecostal. No, the scripture says, raise your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So if you want to bless the Lord, raise your hands and worship. <laughs> so number seven, pray always in the spirit. I love it. Pray in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance, supplication for the saints. So there is a war going on. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober. Be alert. For your enemy goes about as a roaring lion. Okay. Seeking whom he may devour. So it's not automatic. But if you're foolish, then you might succumb to whatever he's trying to put on you. So instead, we're going to put on the whole armor of God. He mentions that twice. That means stay engaged with and immersed in the whole armor of God. As I mentioned before, it's not enough just to have the helmet of salvation. You need to understand your righteousness in Christ. Understand the gospel of peace. God is at peace with you. Can I get an amen from the house of God? God, this is the gospel, the good news of peace is, God is at peace with you. We don't live like that. You want to know why? We don't believe it. Because we think it's up to us. Oh, if I'm going to have peace with God, i got to perform well. That is not what Scripture says. He's at peace with you. Luke 2.14 The angels all showed up and they announced something. The birth of Jesus. What was it? Peace on earth. Goodwill towards, towards men. Well, man's not at peace with man. Man's not at offering goodwill every day to other men. Who's the peace from? And who's it to? We don't believe it. Because we're still stuck in our human reasoning. Our, our balancing, our knowledge of good and evil. Well, I've done this much good and this much evil today. I guess I'm not at peace with God. God's at peace with you through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how you got peace. It was never because you performed well. You got peace with God the same way you became righteous. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus became sin without ever committing one. But in the same way, you became righteous without ever doing a righteous deed. In the same way, you're at peace with God and God is at peace with you because of what He has done. Amen. So live in it. I'm not saying just go do whatever. I'm saying live in the reality. Believe it. God's at peace with you. Boy, I tell you, yeah, I hear you, Holy Ghost. You know, we would treat people different if we really believe God had made peace with us. Because unless you're an arrogant fool, I'm saying foolish a lot today, but unless you're arrogant, you know you're not perfect. And God is at peace with you in your imperfection. Why is it so hard for us then to forgive people who are not perfect? 
You want to know why? Because we really don't believe that God's that way towards us. We're still earning our way. That's a slap in the face to Jesus Christ. And I would even say to God the Father who came up with the plan, Jesus executed uh, the plan. That's how peace came. So once we believe that God really is at peace with us, we can be at peace with other people. If He's forgiven me of all my sin, who am I? I've got a million dollar debt over here. Who am I to hold on to that $20 debt? Remember when he talked to us about don't create debt in your lives towards others? Remember when he hit us upside the head with that one? In love. Jesus never created debt. He, he never did something for somebody and said, Hey, uh, remember when I come back to town next time that I healed your dad. I might need, you know, some money. Come on, amen. How about this one? How about... Uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, but then there he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he can't even get these guys to pray one hour. Will you not watch with me? Pray one hour. Peter, let me tell you something. Because you won't pray one hour, your mother-in-law has got a fever again. You think (laughs) we would look at Jesus way different, but I'm telling you, he is inside of you. The same spirit that raised him from the dead, that healed Peter's mother-in-law, that loved the woman caught in adultery, is in you. And you got to get out of your head. Your human reasoning and balancing the scales. God is, God is not all into fairness. <laughs> See, we are. Well, that's not fair. We ever said that? That's not fair. Pat, he... I tell you, he, he laid into me at work. He just cussed me one side down the other. That's not fair. So what are we going to do? Well, I guess, I guess he owes me something now. You owe me an apology. Or whatever debt we can create in our mind. You owe me better behavior. We got to be like Jesus and live out of the divine nature of God. No matter what other people are doing, we live and love out of the divine nature of God. All right, where was I going with that when I came over here? And I said, Pat. What, what did I say right before the Pat thing? Huh? Creating debt. Yeah. Yes, thank you. God is not fair. How about this one? Jesus tells a story. This guy goes out. He gets one day's wage and he works all day. He worked like eight hours and he got one day's wage. And then and then some guy works like half a day. He got the same thing. Then this guy works half of a half. He got the same. One guy worked one hour. You think God's fair? God is good. Oh, God's looking for opportunities to be good to people and show himself to people. And we're over here tallying. Don't you understand how hard I worked today? I worked eight hours. And Jesus said, did you not get what we agreed to? See, I am just because I paid you what, what we agreed upon. But I also agreed upon for the guy who worked one hour, I said I would pay him one day's wage. So he got what he was supposed to get. And then he said this. Everybody ready? Hold on to your seats. Or is your eye evil? Because I am good. Oh, man. Don't you hate it when other people get a blessing you thought was yours? That guy should have never got that promotion. 
That promotion was mine. Does your father own cattle on a thousand hills? And trust him. And bless that. Go congratulate that person. And say that every good and perfect gift comes from my father. Maybe you'll win him. Maybe you'll introduce the goodness of God to someone who otherwise wouldn't see it. He may think to himself, I shouldn't have got it, you should have. And yet here you are rejoicing because you trust your father to supply all your needs. The company is not your source. God is your source. Woo, come on, Holy Ghost. Wow. That's powerful. I will say it again then. God, God is your source, not the company. So when someone gets blessed with something you thought was yours, you can celebrate because you're not lacking for anything. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not. We don't believe that. We're down here tooth and nail, blood, sweat, and tears. You gotta earn everything. If we're gonna get it, we pry it from our father's tight grip. We act like our father's so, so Cheap, he squeaks when he walks. <laughs> but he's... Do what? That's my husband. Oh, edit that. <laughs> no, we got we to gotta really believe that if someone gets blessed, we can rejoice with them. And you go to them and say, my father is such a good father. You don't even have to say, I, we both know uh, that should have been mine. Don't do that. Just go celebrate and say, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. I hope you can see His hand in this, and I'm happy for you. We have to be different. How about the prodigal son? You know, when the prodigal son comes home, there's a big party. He'd already spent all of his inheritance. So who's, who's putting the bill for the party? The older brother. Everything that's left is the older brother's. That includes, that's his calf they just killed to party with the, old, the younger brother he's so mad at. How dare you throw him who went and did all kinds of unspeakable things? How can you kill a fatted calf that ultimately is my inheritance and give it to him? And the father says, hey, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's been found. We had, he it literally says, we had to make merry. We had to do it. God isn't fair. God is good. And, and the quicker we get in on that, we'll start being good to people around us. Amen? We'll start being good to people around us and quit squeaking when we walk, when we're so tight. <laughs> Amen. How are we doing on time? <laughs> uh, Amen. So we're talking about... I only made it... That was the gospel of peace. I That's coming... That was a free preview. Shield of faith, know God's word, the sword of the spirit, uh, praying in the spirit at all times. We need to know all these things, not just the helmet of salvation. There's seven components to the armor of God. And while most of us are aware there is spiritual warfare going on, we don't understand that the war occurs in your mind. That's where the war is. The serpent did not come and bully Eve. He didn't come with brute force. He came with ideas. Deceptions, thoughts, words. He still comes the same today. 
The deception hasn't changed. He's not going to just overthrow you. He's going to try to trick you. Deception is the only tool the enemy has. That's why that first week, the very first one is the belt of truth. You've got to be familiar with truth. Live in it, adhere it, know it, and then what? Walk in it. Walk in it. Don't just know it. Walk in it. Uh, and we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We want to be anchored in truth. Now, let's go to the breastplate of righteousness. Here they are, right here. Breastplate of righteousness is the next one for six minutes. Six minutes on the breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> so, the fiery dart against the belt of truth, if it's a weapon against the enemy, what does truth fight against? Lies, deception, half-truths, human reasoning, your knowledge of good and evil. Okay, the breastplate of righteousness then, the fiery dart that it stands against is the accusation of the enemy against the righteousness that you are. You really are the righteousness of God. But He works us over so much we dare really believe it. Now, I think intellectually, maybe theologically, we would sign off on it. But remember, your deed is your creed. What you actually believe is how you live. And so he needs to wash us once again with the word that we are absolutely the righteousness of God in the earth. We are those sons and daughters of the kingdom that he has sown into this world to reap a harvest of of salvation. Breastplate of righteousness. Wow. So what's some things that the enemy uses to convince us that we are not the righteousness of God. Your feelings. How many of you know just because you don't feel very righteous doesn't mean you're not. Where are you righteous at? Let's just break this down. Spirit, soul, and body. Where are you righteous in Christ? Your spirit man. Okay? Your soul is being made into righteousness. That's your mind, will, and emotion. So that's where your transformation is ongoing. Okay? Uh, feelings. How about your behavior? Do you realize your behavior does not reveal what's true about you all the time? I mean, it may, because you may walk in congruence with truth and what's true about you. But if somebody's living unrighteously, that may reveal they've believed a lie. But the enemy says, no, this is how you're behaving. This must be who you are. Is human behavior what determines truth in this realm? No. God and His Word determines truth. So what's the truth, whether you sink or swim, every single day of your life? What's the truth about righteousness? The truth is you are righteous in Christ. Even if your behavior doesn't line up, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're not righteous anymore. That was gifted to you. It means you did not participate with the righteousness that you are. Okay, so he'll use feelings. He'll use your behavior. How about this? He'll use the opinions of others. He'll use the accuser of the brethren. He'll, he'll use your scorecard of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to notice also the breastplate of righteousness covers your heart because with the heart, Romans 10.10, man believes and is justified. You believe in your heart. So the righteousness of God covers your heart. Heart and out of an abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So this is so important. 
Notice where the breastplate of righteousness is. It's covering your heart. How about one more? Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So he behaves. So let, let the Spirit of God wash you once again with the reality of how righteous you are in Christ. And that belief, that participation will better your behavior. I know you're concerned about your behavior. We all are. We don't like to do big pieces of stupid. But if we take our brother Chester here, for example, and we tell Chester, listen, Chester, we got to get you living more and more and more and more righteous. The best way to do that is keep washing him with the truth of how righteous he is. Not him always trying to fix unrighteous habits and unrighteous behavior. Now, that doesn't mean the Lord won't address them, but the Lord will address them in and through Him. We need to continue to wash Him with the water of the Word. Chester, you're the righteousness of God. You're the righteousness of God. You've been set right by God. You're so holy and righteous. There's coming a day, Chester, where sin won't even appeal to you because you're so in line with how righteous and pure you are, you don't even want to touch it. Can I say it again? You're so in line with how righteous, how God sees you, how pure you are in your spirit, you don't even want to touch sin because it's incongruent with your true identity. As a man thinks in his heart. So we've got to seed him where all that word gets down into the soil of his heart. Can I get a witness? If the words of Jesus Christ penetrate the soil of a man's heart, are we going to get fruit? 30, 60, and 100 fold. Amen. Uh, oh, I got to say this. When your knowledge of how righteous you are is clouded, you go to survival mode and you quit fighting your real enemy. Let's be real and honest with each other. How many of you at times you just haven't felt right with God? You've not felt righteous anymore. When you're going through those feelings and emotions, You go into survival mode. You are not thinking, I'm going to go deal the devil some damaging blows right now. I'm going to go into my workplace and change it. You're toiling within yourself of whether or not you're even right with God. So he loves to lock you into natural toiling instead of facing your real enemy, living upright before God and extending God's goodness, his kingdom, his righteousness, wherever you are. Does that make sense to you? This is why He moves you off of the the faith and belief, the truth that you are righteous because He wants you toiling within yourself, always fixing yourself. Once you know you're righteous, then you can face your real enemy and He doesn't want you looking at Him. Matt, you guys go ahead and come. I'm going to show you this and this will take us into next week. This is a fantastic uh, passage. Man, I didn't even get to say that. I really wish I'd have said that. (laughs) Let me sum it up for you. Here's your homework. Romans 6, 15 through 18. Right here. This is your homework. Romans 6, 15 through 18. If you look at 17 and 18, it says, God be thanked that though you were once slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Verse 18 And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Listen to this. This is a powerful truth. And I want you to just study this out. Look at it this week. As human beings, we do have freedom of choice. And I know we talk about free will, but just hear me out on this. 
Before you got born again, your will had a bent towards sin. You agree with that? So before Adrian came to Christ, his will actually was bent towards unrighteousness and sin. He was a slave to it. Maybe he didn't want to do it, but he had no power to stop it. Make sense? So he had freedom of choice, but his will was enslaved to sin. But look what he says in... Oh, I already changed it. Verse 18, he says, In Christ you become now a slave of righteousness. Listen to this. The righteousness of God is at work now inside of you, uh, influencing your will towards righteous behavior. So now that Adrian is born again and belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, the agapeo, love of God, agape is a noun, agapeo is the verb, now divinely influences Adrian every day to choose the Lord's choices, to walk in his way. That's why everybody's got to get born again. You can get mad at the world all you want, but they are slaves of sin. So they can't change until they get the same change change agent Adrian got, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one himself, now divinely influencing the human heart to choose righteousness and not sin. Come on, give him praise for that. That's such a powerful truth. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that the Spirit of the Lord lives within you, massages your heart now to choose righteousness. Now, he won't choose for you. But he is influencing you. You're a slave of righteousness now. You ever, I mean, you do a big piece of stupid. How many of you just walk away and think nothing of it? None of us. We can't get away with it because we have a bent in our will towards righteous behavior. All right, last one. Isaiah 32, 17. The work of righteousness will be what? Peace, shalom. So he's prophesying here. He's talking about the, the coming of the righteousness of Christ. The work of righteousness is peace. Peace with God, God being at peace with you. And the effect of righteousness, look at this, quietness and assurance forever. We can be peaceful people. We're at peace with God. Why? Because of the gift of righteousness. Well, we can be um, quiet. We don't have to repay evil for evil. We can live confidently. We can have an assurance about what's going to happen. Maybe something bad happens, but we don't panic. We have an assurance. Why? Because righteousness has produced in us peace and confidence and assurance for how long? Forever. And then my people will dwell in a peaceful habitation. That's us. We dwell in secure dwellings. We have security. We're not insecure people. We're secure people. That's why we look different than the world. Amen? A counterculture. And in quiet resting places, though hail comes down on the forest or a city is brought low in humiliation, we're not moved. We're not like the world. Why do we have peace? Why do we have calm? Why do we have assurance? Forever. The work of righteousness. It's your breastplate. Protects your heart. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Stand with me. Woo! Come on, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Father. Are we blessed or what, people? We are blessed people. We are blessed. If you desire to receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. I know we have young people here. If any of your children want to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, please bring them to the front after. But I'm just going to pray a prayer of dismissal. But if anybody wants to come to Christ, you want to know Christ or rededicate your life to Christ, please meet us at the front. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the good word of God. Oh, we're blessed. We are blessed people. Thank you for the work of righteousness. And Lord, intermingled with that, that God, you're at peace with us. 
That makes us people of peace and confident assurance. We love you, Lord. May we, as we spend time with family and friends the next couple of days, may your light so shine that when people see us in our demeanor, our countenance, Lord, that they see you, that they see you, that the grace of God bestowed on us would not be in vain, but would shine as a light in this very dark time. We thank you for all you're doing. We thank you for the power of your love that we sense here today. We are encouraged in you. And now we choose, amen, church, we choose to believe all that you say about us, Lord, in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, give him praise one more time. Have a great day, rest of your weekend. If you need prayer, stick around. You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.